I have I've not spoken, uh, taught, whatever you want to call it, since April. And so uh, I'm excited to be to get to share with you this morning and to uh, the Lord's been working in my heart over a long period of time. And I just asked to be removed from the preaching schedule for, for a month or two uh, just to get some things right in me. And uh, it was a bigger process than I thought as God began to peel back layers in my life and show me the mess that I am. And, uh, you know, uh, gosh, what an incredible privilege and blessing for God to speak to us and be attentive to us about the things of our life. You know? And sometimes we, we fear him speaking to us because we don't want to get, you know, we don't want to be in trouble. You know, it's like going to the principal's office sometimes. And I made my frequent visits there as a young man, um, so I know all about that one. Um, but it's not like that at all. Uh, to get to go into the loving arms of the Father and for him to speak to us about the things in our life that keep us from finding the fullness of him and the blessings that he so um, costly purchased for us through the death of his son. What a blessing. Um, so I was ready. I had everything ready, and then the Lord messed me up. Um, which he's free to do. Um, yeah. And I, I, I've been... Well, let me do it this way. Um, several of us have started reading this book, uh, The Spiritual Life by Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray is a South African uh, author, devotional kind of author, but he's written some phenomenal books. I've read every one he's got except this one. And so Donald got me started in this one. If you're interested in hopping along with us, as God's taking a bunch of us through this, um, then see Donald or I will get you a book. Um, but as I started reading through this book, and the first chapter deals with a carnal life, okay? Anybody here that says, you know, man, I just, I know I'm not living the life I should be living for the Lord. Um, struggling with sin, struggling with different things, I just can't get out of it. If you're in that place, grab this book. Because he's going to tell you why you're there and how to get out of it, okay? And so, um, but as I began to read through that book, I told Donald, I said, you know, one word keeps screaming at me through this whole thing. And that word is belief. And the Lord began to peel back some layers in my life and began to show me how I have lost a measure of my belief. In him. Not just in him, but in what he's done, what he wants to do, what he is doing. You know, we, we bow our heads to pray for someone to be healed, to get up and we go, well, I'm not sure if God's going to do that or not. Hadn't seen him do it. We pray for someone for deliverance and a lot of times we find them right back in the same mess. Pray for their financial. We pray and ask God to meet a financial need of our life. And we get up to run out the door and figure out how we're going to solve the problem. The evil one has been very clever 
to steal away from us, I believe, as a church, as a body, as a church as a whole, our belief. We don't believe anymore. Johnny was talking last week about the gospel and about how the evil one has blinded the eyes of those that are disobedient so that they cannot see God, they cannot obey God, so they walk in disobedience. But if the church is doing the same thing, what separates us from them? That's why they're confused about us. Because we don't believe anymore. And belief is what sets us apart. I was reading the story of uh, Elijah on the Mount, uh, Mount Carmel. And you know, if, if God didn't show up that day, it was him against... 800 and something other prophets. And if God didn't show up that day, it cost him his life. Where's that kind of belief for us? The belief that we'll pray and hear God's voice in our life and God will tell us what to do and we'll stake our life on it. So I'm here not pointing at you, but listening very intently to what God would say to me. I had the privilege in 97 to go to Botswana as a missionary um, with Southern Baptist Convention, live among Swano-speaking people. At that time, they were number one in the world in HIV infection rate, a 38% for the entire country HIV infection rate. In 99, they reached... Um, first country that I know of that I'd been around that reached... Um, a declining birth rate, so they were dying quicker than they were being born. Went to villages where there were no healthy men. They were going to build uh, community uh, buildings to put a clinic in to service the people of that country uh, with HIV and monitor them and health things. Couldn't build the buildings. Couldn't find a healthy man to lay a brick. Walked among those people, shared the gospel among those people as quick as we could get to them. They're dying quicker than we can get to them. Believing God had a purpose and a plan for what he was doing. God was raising up young people that we got to pour our life into in that country, and they have changed their country. Young couples, young people who began to believe and say, I'll do it God's way or no way. And it costs them a great price. Ostracized by their family. In an animistic culture, you don't do that. And what's God give them the confidence in who he was and who he had made them to be to stand up in the midst of incredible pressure and say, I'll do it God's way. And guys, I walked among those people Watch God do things I could never imagine I would have ever seen him do. And I came home and let it drift away. I apologize to you today. I've not been the man I'm supposed to be. Because God has afforded me opportunities to see him do things. that you can't explain.
I've seen God sweep a village not knowing how people even knew we were there. And we spent hour upon hour, three feet from the van, because we couldn't get any further because the people were lined up to hear about Jesus. And if you told the first one, the second one was listening over their shoulder, but you had to tell them too because it had to be personal for them. They wanted to know. Seen God heal little girls who can't walk. Seen God do incredibly more than I ever imagined. To come home and let it get stolen away from me little by little. So today I want to look at Luke chapter 9, verse 57 is where we'll start. I'm going to blow through this quickly. By the way, while I'm stopped, um, be sure and pray for Shelly. Um, she's in Uzbekistan, is that correct? How many more days? Till Friday. So let me pray for her real quick. Father, we thank you for Shelly. And uh, Father, thank you that you are not limited. Your arm's not too short. And so we pray today, Father, that you would be present. Know that you're present. Thank you that you're present with us, but you'll be present with her also. And that, Father, your spirit would just uh, give her wisdom and discernment in uh, what she's doing there and how opportunities to invest her life in people there. And, uh, Father, just keep her safe, traveling back and forth and, and in their time there. And, Father, may it make an impact, even in just little words, little actions, make it make an impact for your kingdom there. And we thank you. Uh, bless their family, Father, as they wait and pray and wait for her return. And uh, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, you also pray for several of us. We're heading to Forest as soon as I'm through and uh, to do some, uh, the praise band's going to do some things. I don't know the whole story. See Jake if you have questions. Um, but we're all going down there for this afternoon. Uh, he just told me they were having dinner on the ground. So I'm like, I'm in. What do you need me to do? Haul what? Take what? I told what? So, but no, we're excited about going and just leading worship and Seeing what God has for us there, but um, Luke 9 says this, 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead, own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Yeah, <laughs> not easy passage. Um, it is, though. The first guy, he says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. Now, scholars debate on this, but we, we know that he was a teacher of the law. And a habit for teachers in that day were if there was a very influential teacher of that time, then they wanted to get next to him. They wanted to tag along with him, be, be known by him in order to advance their standing. Okay. So here's this guy, he says, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. And Jesus says to him, F 
Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, if you follow me, there's no home. There's no place to lay your head. It's not an easy life. That man was coming to Jesus to assert himself, to build his status. He wasn't counting the cost. My question for you this morning is, for you and I, are we going to be people known to choose comfort or people known to choose the cross? They go in opposite directions. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You're going to be a person of the cross or you're going to be a person of comfort. You see what stole away my, my passion to see people come to Jesus, my passion to meet the needs of people, my passion to believe God and see him do more than I could ever imagine in America. And I promise you, I had a hard time when I came back. I had to say, God, teach me to love Americans because I don't love them. I don't because they squabble about paint and carpet and what their building looks like, their weeds in the parking lot. Who cares? People are dying going to hell and we talk I, I went to the church in Georgia, man. It just, I said, Lord, I got to get out. I got to get out. Can, you get, can I take a break from ministry? It's going to drive me crazy because I came from the fastest dying people in the world to a place where they argued about paint. Not about whether their neighbor was going to bust hell wide open because they didn't know the Lord and nobody wanted to take the opportunity to go tell them because it would make them uncomfortable. And I lost it. You know why? Because I became a person of comfort. Guys, I don't read anywhere in the New Testament where Christianity is pointed in the direction of comfort. That's good news, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas. No. Christianity is not a path to greater comfort. Never. Check this out. In Luke 10, he says, he says, like lambs going into the midst of wolves. Okay? Why do lambs wander out in the midst of wolves? To have a party? No. To lay down their life. Because the wolves are going to eat them. That's comfort, right? In 11, verse 42, he says that we settle for injustice but keep our religious practices because it makes us comfortable for things not to change. And he condemns it. Don't do it. In, verse, in chapter 12, he talks about the abundance of possessions, and they said, well, just build bigger ones. Eat, drink, and be merry. Be comfortable. And Jesus says, you fool. You missed it. 
In chapter 12, 32, he says, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor. On and on and on. Christianity doesn't lead in the way of comfort. It leads the way of the cross. And the cross is an instrument of death. We wear crosses around our neck. But you wouldn't have done that in their day. It'd be like you and I wearing an electric chair around our neck or a syringe because that's the common way of death for us. You know what I'm saying? Unwrap your Christmas present. There's an electric chair with a chain. (laughs) We don't get it. We respect the cross, but we have misunderstood what it's about an instrument of death if anyone wishes to come after me follow after me Jesus said you must deny yourself take up your instrument of death and follow me we create an incredible comfortable picture of the church And all the while, we have turned a blind eye to the needs of the world and to the lost people around us. Guys are there every day, right in front of you and I. It just takes you and I opening our mouth, believing. Do you believe that the gospel works? Johnny's been talking to us about the gospel for several weeks. Do we believe it works? Do we believe the gospel message that Jesus came, died on a cross for our sin, buried, rose again, that it can change a life? Do you believe it? Then tell somebody. The gospel message is an echo. When I was in grad school, I got a call, and uh, this guy on the phone says, hey, you got a passport? I said, yeah. He said, uh, can you go to Switzerland for 10 days and we'll pay, we'll mail your ticket tomorrow if you'll go and lead a seminar and, uh, for this youth camp. There's like 250 American military-oriented kids in Switzerland. Can you go? And I'm like, out of here. He said, do you want to take time to pray about it? And I'm like, no, I don't have to pray about that. God said Switzerland. Um, or you said Switzerland. It just was right, you know. Um, I did pray about it, but another story. So I got on the plane, got to Switzerland, and uh, I didn't know where we were going. You know, I don't know Switzerland. Never been over there. And so I look at my, you know, my ticket and get to, uh, to Zurich, and it says, okay, you got to take this train to uh, Grindelwald. Okay? Grindelwald's at the base of the Jäger and the Jungfrau, the two big peaks unbelievable place. So we go up on the top of the young frau and, and you can scream off. You know, I didn't have one of those big horns. Ricola. Um, but it was like, hello, hello, hello. And it just keeps going. And that's the picture of the gospel. It's an echo. And God says, Jesus. And he hits my heart. And I receive that echo 
but then I have to pass the echo on. But you know what's happening? He spoke the echo, and it began to deaden in our hearts. And we began to not pass it on. So it's, it's supposed to be, hello, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Instead, it's Jesus. No echo. Because of comfort. And we've been quiet. And the gospel loses its ability to work because we are silent about it. You want to get cranked up in your walk with Jesus? Go tell somebody about him. See, as I read in this book, he talks about the Holy Spirit. Talks about being, if you're in carnal life, he says you can't get out of carnal life without the Holy Spirit present in your life. The Holy Spirit, that's what he was commissioned to do. To keep you out of it. And he can do it. He does not lack the ability or the power to do it. He can do it. He will do it. If I'll believe it and stake my life on it. Instead, I say I believe it and spend my life playing in sin and allowing self to take on the throne of my life. Jesus says, you want to come after me? Put self to death. Period. Put self to death and follow me. Not a life of comfort. I, um, I took a, when I was in youth ministry, I took a team to Brazil, to Belo Horizonte, one of the big cities in Brazil, and we met this guy that works, had a restaurant, and he would give all his leftover food every night. Um, he would put it in carryable containers, and we took it out to people, and these people lived in the city dump. I had never seen that many flies in all my life. And he gave them the best food that he could possibly give them. Most of them ate rotten apples, spoiled yogurt, milk, whatever they could find in trash. Matter of fact, we were there and a garbage truck came in and began to dump all the contents of the garbage. A dump truck, big dump truck. And the kids ran underneath where it was dumping and fought over all that was coming out to see what they could find. And that's what they lived on. You know, on our bus, we had coolers of clean water, crackers, all kinds of stuff for us, not for them. It's not the gospel. There's a young man there that had Heard the Lord tell him to go to Belo Horizonte and work in the dump. That's all he knew. He left Sao Paulo, went to Belo Horizonte, 
went to the dump, met this guy that was giving food, and began to transport the food out there for him. Did it day after day. And the people would never come out and get the food. He had to put it down, leave, and they'd come get it. And then they'd bring the stuff back, put it there. He'd pick it up and did it every day. Built a relationship just going out over time. This is a young college kid. And he shows up one day, and they're standing there waiting on the food. And they have three items in their hand. He's been bringing the best he has to them. They were bringing the best they had to him. And he said, you know, Mark, I knew I had to eat it. Because if I didn't eat it, I would never get the chance to share the gospel with those kids and those, those families. And so he picked up a rotten apple, a bag of spoiled yogurt, and I don't even remember the third thing. He said, did I throw up? You betcha I did. Made me sick as a dog. But he said, after that, every time I go out, I get to sit and eat with those people and tell them about my Jesus. Guys, what price are we willing to pay to share the gospel? Are we going to be people who settle for things as they always are? Are we going to be people who sacrifice for the mission? Look at the second guy, he says. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead and go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now that sounds pretty cruel, doesn't it? Okay, there's debate as to whether his dad had just died or whether his dad is about to die. Regardless, it's probably a real proper thing to go and bury your dad, right? Okay, we want to be there, you know, say our goodbyes to our dad. But what Jesus is saying is, look, we got time for you to go bury your dad. Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. There are things of greater urgency than just burying your dead, burying your dad. Do we have that kind of urgency about us? Do you remember what it was like to be lost? I do. So it makes me mad at myself right now that I lost my zeal to go share with people. I remember what it was like to be lost. I remember what it was like to be a college kid scared to death, miserable as I could be. And I remember what it was like to meet Jesus on July 21st, 1983 at 8.35 p.m. in a roller rink in Saturday Night Lake, New York. After I heard a guy read Matthew 13, about the wheat and the tares, and I knew I was a tear living among wheat. And I said, God, I, I repent. And I remember it was like to be changed inside out. Not worrying about this, not worrying about people saw or how I acted, but changed inside out. I remember it was like to feel my heart come alive. I do. Never forgot it. I just quit letting it make a difference in my life each day. And I promise you, I'm heading back. Me and the Lord doing some business.
Do you realize that there are two billion people in the world today that have never heard the gospel? Or have limited access to the gospel? Two billion people. You say, well, that's the missionary's responsibility. No, it's not. It's mine and yours. Part of the body of Christ, aren't you? It's our responsibility. You say, well, I can't go. I can't go. I just don't have the gifts and skills. I have this limitation. I have this limitation. I can't go. Okay, well, stay and support somebody else that can go. Sacrifice and support somebody else that can go. People, people said to me so many times, man, I just admire you so much, your sacrifice to go to Africa. And I just laugh. You don't understand. It was not a sacrifice. When God says, this is what I designed you to do, I want you to go do it, and you jump in, they ain't a sacrifice. He shows up every time, man. It was the most exciting thing I ever got to do. I'd go back and live the rest of my life there and not come back. Sorry. People say, but your family, you're away from your family. I'm like, I was just the right distance away from my family. <laughs> I'm the youngest of six, so that's just, just. Man, those are the most loving people, most incredible place. God's not here to make us miserable, but he's not here to make us comfortable. And he's calling us to sacrifice if the gospel is going to change our world. And folks, time is short. Missions is not somebody else's job. If you look in the New Testament, missions are going to the, proclaiming the gospel in, among the nations is basic discipleship. It should be characteristic of all of us, not just those who get a degree or those who have special training. Let me say this to you the easy places are all taken. I have friends that, that I worked with in Botswana. They go out 14 hours in the desert, the Kalahari Desert. 14-hour drive. You know what that means? You got to put gas on your truck in tanks to get there and get back. And water. 14 hours, no trees, just grow bushes. 14 hours out in the desert, the Kalahari Desert among the Kong people. And they have no words, only clicks. They speak like that. So how do you write that? Okay, hang on. You can't. You have to go and get beside them and love them and learn their clicks. We have people who now have come into the university in Botswana and have come to know Jesus and have learned English. And so we just commissioned two of those guys to go back out to their people, live in their village, and speak their cliques and translate the gospel into their cliques. There's another group going out in November to help plant the first church among the Kong people. Up until this year, they were a completely unreached people group. Willing to drive 14 hours out in the desert to see God do a miracle? <laughs> Sign me up. I'll go. No more incredible things to see God change people's lives. 
but it's going to require sacrifice for us for the mission. There's an urgency about it. But you know what? We have a lot of excuses, don't we? Don't we? Why we won't go? Why we won't do this? Why we won't do that? There was a lady that worked for us when we were in Botswana, Mesupi. She was my nanny, not mine, my boys. And um, she watched her boys while we were in language school. Her, she was married. Her husband took a job in the capital city uh, with a power company. Took another wife in the capital city, did not tell her. Contracted HIV. Came home and gave her HIV. In Botswana, HIV is C2. That's the strand of HIV. You die in six years. Done. No cure. They can't get antiviral drugs. Nothing to prolong life like we have here. She's gone. Her husband became a carrier. He outlived her. She'd get mad. She could talk about all her limitations of having HIV. Hunker down and just take care of herself. You know what she did? She began to go to schools, uh, secondary schools and, and churches everywhere. Because in Botswana, HIV, we don't talk about it. We knew there were, oh gosh. Well, we knew that at least a third of the population was HIV positive, And the president of the country admitted to one person having HIV in the whole country. You just don't talk about it. You don't admit it. Such a taboo thing. She goes out to the schools and the churches, especially the schools, and says, look, I have HIV. I'm dying. But I have hope for eternity in my relationship with the Lord Jesus. I don't have any limitations. Not up against Mesupi. Who's living her last six years, was. She's going to be with the Lord now. Who said, I don't have any limitations. That's how opportunities. God, let me wear it out for the time I have left. An amazing, amazing lady who got injustice dumped in her lap and said, I'll make it for good because my God's that big. My God can do that kind of stuff. Can yours? Last guy, and I'll be done. All right. He says, still knows that I will follow you, Lord, but let me go first and say goodbye to my family. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of uh, service in the kingdom of God. Let me ask you this. Will your life be marked by an indecisive mind or an undivided heart? We're duplistic people. A lot of us. You know what that means? We live one way and talk about another. And he says, you know, don't be like the waves of the sea tossed to and fro. Don't expect you'll receive anything from the Lord. If we're duplistic people and our hearts divided between things, power's gone, guys. We quench the spirit quickly with a duplistic heart. 
We quench the spirit quickly with a duplistic life. If you're going to live for him, live for him. Obedience is a reflex thing. I looked up every word in the New Testament. In the, in, in the, actually, I looked up every word in Scripture the first time I did it. Every word referenced to obedience. I want to understand it. And what it came back to me as is we recognize the voice of the Father. We walk in intimacy with the Father. The Holy Spirit, it's his job. He does his job well. And he opens up our eyes and our minds to his voice and, and the word and what God's saying to us. And he speaks to us and we recognize that voice and boom, we do it. Reflex obedience. It's not, mm, hmm. Lord, let me consider that. That's what this guy's doing. Let me go say goodbye to my family. Let me, let me think about that for a little bit if I'm willing to count that kind of cost. My encouragement to you today is this. The greatest thing you have to focus on today is your relationship with the Lord Jesus. That's the greatest thing you can think of. And the greatest need in the world today in your life, my life, in the world we live today is the gospel. It works. The Holy Spirit makes it work. He makes me a vessel of honor, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. I don't have to go and muster up the energy or the power or whatever to, to see God work. He'll do that if I will put me to death and begin to walk in the life that he has given me and walk in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. So my challenge to you is in your relationship with the Lord, what quenches those things from happening in your life? We were praying this morning before the service and it just overwhelms me. God is here. The Holy Spirit is here. The adjustment that needs to be made is here. And we're all on level ground. Freaks me out about church. Because we all act like we've come here with all together. You don't got it all together. And all you have to know what's going on. We all got something going on. And, and we open up the altar. Or we open up for prayer time. And we all sit there like, why are you doing that? Why, you don't need help? We should be running up here. God, whatever is stopping your spirit from working in my life, deal with it. Because I don't want to miss anything else. I don't want to miss lost people that walk by me, hurting people that walk by me, families that come across my path, countries that need me to go share the gospel. Don't need me, but he gave me the opportunity to do that. I don't miss one more thing God has for me. But it's going to cost me. The comforts of home, the comforts I love, and it's been the evil one's trick 
Man, it's like this big light came on. It's like, man, how did I fall into that? Whatever it cost me. I have a bunch of excuses. I came back from Africa with narcolepsy, cataplexy. I fall asleep all the time. Um, can't help it. No, um, uh, <laughs> I make a joke at it because I laugh. But I, I, I fall asleep all the time. My kids call it carcolepsy because every time I get in the car, I'm out like a light. <laughs> but, you know, it makes all the trips short. Um, I, I have cataplexy, which goes along with narcolepsy, which means any big rush of emotion normally um, any big rush of emotion, my motor skills will sag. I'm paralyzed. I can't do anything. My head will drop. can't do anything. Excuses. I've held on to them for 15 years now. And the Lord woke me up the other day, and he said, no more excuses. Anybody watch the ESPYs? Anybody watch the ESPYs awards? ESPN Awards. We were just, Seth and I were just flipping through and caught the end of the thing. It was a Jim Valvano Award. Um, and the guy that won the Jim Valvano Award is a coach. And I want you to look at the clip. And let me, let me tell you, the guy was born without arms and legs. And he's a coach. You know how he learned the game of football? Madden. Now you tell me, how did he learn to play Madden? He has no arms and legs. With his chin. And they say he's blistering. But he learned the schemes of football through the Madden game. He can write with a stylus in his mouth on an iPad and design plays quicker than you and I can write them down. He first served as offensive coordinator for a team. Now he's the head coach of a junior high team. And he has no arms and legs. And God said to me, you got two arms? You got two legs? Shut up and get busy. <laughs> he can speak to me that way. I don't have any limitations anymore, folks. Just opportunities. Watch this. Won't you be encouraged? We'll pray and be gone after that. I believe I'm here. Standing, sitting, in front of Boomer. I like to think Boomer has a soft spot for his Niners, or for my Niners. Sitting backstage with Dwayne Wade. Never saw this coming. Shout out to US soccer women's. Awesome. <laughs> All right, here we go. Thank you. It is an honor to be here tonight. I'd like to start by thanking my mother, Josie. I still remember going swimming with you, Mom, as you held me with one arm. I know you never wanted to make me feel left out of anything, so if there was a way for me to participate, you always found a way. Secondly, I'd like to thank my dad for being the best dad I can ever ask for. I still remember waiting for you to get home from work when we lived in Thayer Court like it was yesterday. And no matter how tired you were from a long day at work, you still took the time to play ball with me with my favorite plastic bat. 
Let's catch the Sharks game soon, Dad, just like old times. I love you, Dad. I'd also like to thank my grandma Mona, my grandpa Danny, my tia Cindy, my tia Tota, for always being there for me, out of me, for me, no matter what. My whole family, my friends, Alex and Avid, and a big shout out to my caretaker, Mike. Thanks for being there for me. I love you, bro. Thanks also to Coach Cable and the whole Prospect Administration, students, and last but not least, my Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. I also want to thank the game of football. <laughs> I also want to thank the game of football for all of it's given me, for allowing me to be a part of a team. It's honestly been hard for me to fathom receiving this award to be recognized alongside heroes of mine like Coach Valvano, Stuart Scott, Jim Kelly, and so many others. But the reality is I am here. And if there's any message I want to give you guys tonight, it's to look at me and see how much passion I put into coaching and how far it's gotten me. When you dedicate yourself to something and open your mind to different possibilities and focus on what you can do instead of what you can't do, you really can go places in this world. Realizing I couldn't play football, but I could coach football. That was the way for me to never give up, from the words of Jimmy V. That was my way of focusing on what I can do. Let me tell you, best part of coaching for me is seeing someone's potential and making them realize what's possible. So for anyone out there not sure if they can do something, it could be in sports, it could be in your job, it can be in your life, Whatever it is, I'm here to tell you that you can do it. You've got to be passionate. You've got to work at it. But it can happen. And I'm not done yet. I'm... I've made it this far. And who says I can't go further? That's my message tonight. Who says I can't? Nobody! Yeah! <laughs> what were you born without? What's been taken away from you? What have you surrendered? that puts you in your own version of a motorized wheelchair? In what way are you not whole? Whatever you were born without, whatever you surrendered, whatever was taken from you is restored in the Spirit of God. You have everything you need and much, much more.